Welcome to Junior to Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today, I'm joined by Mike Brevort. Mike, welcome to the show. Hi, yeah, thanks for having me. So for folks who are meeting you for the first time, uh, you want to share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure, yeah. I'm. My name is Mike Brevort. I am currently uh, the platform architect for Platform at Slack. Uh, I recently transitioned in the last uh, three months back into an IC role. Uh, before that, at Slack uh, for a couple of years, I was a director of engineering. Um, I joined Slack via an acquisition of a company uh, I built called Missions, which was a messaging-based workflow system. And before that, I pivoted from building a bot platform. And before that, I'd been in ed tech and done a bunch of consulting and a bunch of stuff. And now you've stopped counting when you're <laughs> start to get as old as I do too, um, in, in your forties and stuff. But uh, um, I've had you know a career in uh, software development. It's been really uh, fulfilling and interesting to awesome. me. At least. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think I think we first met probably around like the the JavaScripts uh, conference and meetup scenes. I remember you gave some talks maybe at like LXJS, and I don't know if we met it at some other ones. You you also gave a talk at at JSLA. And I think at that time you were working at, at Pearson, which I guess is, was the yeah. largest educator ever in the history of ever. It was a large <laughs> education company, like publisher turned education company, um, mm -hmm. but definitely a huge customer base. Yeah. And I think we met it. It was, uh, uh, yeah, I think LXJS. Mm -hmm. And it was, I think it was actually the worst talk I'd ever given. Um, <laughs> this is like, if it was, we talk about like mistakes that you could make speaking in conferences, always, 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 always ask how long your your like your time oh, is because yeah. um, I didn't ask and didn't realize it was like a 20 minute slot and it come from like I gave a bunch of talks recently and they were at meetups there were like 45 minutes and like I'd already kind of took it taken too long yeah. um, it was kind of blathering on and I got the like five minutes left signal from the front row and was like oh my god I it's totally like blew okay this. well so, let me wrap up my intro yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was bad it was it was pretty bad uh, awesome. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah. So so I remember like some of the I think the talk that you gave was uh, that that I remember at JSLA. I think that was that was about Node. And so, God, it's 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 interesting how long that that I guess that was like 2013, probably. Do you? Yeah. What's do you? I guess now that you're an individual contributor, like what do you what kind of technologies and tools do you work with now? Yeah, that was that was around the time of Node. I remember I started using Node around like 0.2 and it introduced it, at least in the group that I was in at Pearson. Um, have since done a lot uh, in Go over the last, I don't know, five or so years. I really like Go. I've still done quite a bit in JavaScript. Um, I work at Slack. I don't know if you know, Slack uh, was originally built in uh, PHP and like a LAMP stack, really similar mm -hmm. to Facebook that's kind of evolved to uh, like hack, which is a typed version of PHP, but that's really interesting to have this giant, like a really big code base um, that has its roots in PHP. It's, it's really interesting. Uh, but, you know, in terms of choice, um, I really like Go. I still really like, you know, JavaScript, I've done some, doing some TypeScript. Um, and uh, I don't know, I, I just like, you know, the, honestly, the, the, the ha I hadn't done that much PHP. So and mm -hmm. just recently, I've dug into the Slack code base um, and have been contributing sort of significantly uh, there. And uh, it's been fun. Even, you know, you might say it's like, oh, it's PHP, <laughs> um, but it's type <laughs> PHP. But it was honestly, it's been fun to, to like dive into a really big code base and, and 
you know, a lot of things carry over from one language to the next. And there's just a lot. Wait, so PHP is Turing complete? (laughs) It is. Yeah. It's it's like turtles all the way down. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, No, I'm just I'm just playing. I actually used um, Slack as an example in a talk I just gave at JSLA. The the whole talk is is pretty much about um, not needing to chase the new and shiny. And the talk title was how to get a better job without learning another framework and um the the first part of the talk is is about how to choose technologies um in your your own projects like when you have the choice and i think it was it was like in the very very beginning of the talk i you know it's so funny you did it too like when it's almost required nowadays if someone says like oh i'm using php like you have to apologize for it in some way i think that's just customary now somehow um and uh, and in the talk, I, I sort of list out some technologies that I consider to be a little bit uh, hotter right now. I feel like Rust is is one of them. Next.js, uh, TypeScript, stuff like that. Um, but then I, I mentioned like, look, Slack was built with PHP and MySQL, two, two technologies that don't really make the, the hot list these days. But they did an amazing job. Like Slack is a $20 billion company. It, it provides almost infinite value for a ton of companies that just base their entire communications on it. The stuff that you can build pretty much with any technology, even if it's out of fashion is, is massive. Like you don't, you don't need to use the latest and greatest. Now that said, I'm curious to hear a little bit about that transition to a to I suppose sounds like a typed version, which reminds me a little bit of um, what Facebook did. But I'm also not sure that this is necessarily the conversation for it. So I want to switch a little (laughs) bit over to um, you said that you're back to an individual contributor role. Uh, So it sounds like you've had quite the arc. And I'm really curious about those transition periods. So when you were originally an individual contributor and then how you wound up more into management and leadership and then what made you want to go back? Yeah, I've, I've made that switch a number of times in my career and, um, you know, for a variety of reasons. And I think that my reasons have matured um, as I've, as I've so, sort of gotten older and, and appreciated where I could, uh, you know, have the biggest impact and provide the sort of, you know, most fulfilling contribution. I think, you know, really early on in my career, when I was maybe 23 or so, I was, um, 23, 22, I was working at this healthcare company and, um, I had been, uh, had been promoted to be like a development manager and, and at, like at a company like that around the early two thousands, um, you know, it's pretty common that you have like developer, senior developer, and then there's like manager and then director, or maybe there's levels in between. But at, at the time at a lot of companies, it was like the only way to sort of move up and have more influence. A single um, track. Yeah. And, and, and not, you know, it's really, I mean, it's even common today at some companies, um, not necessarily like some tech companies in the Valley or, you know, in other places like sort of, you know, internet or software companies. But um, I think it's, it's the one trap that a lot of people, and I, I even got caught in, uh, which was just like, you asked me to do this thing. It came with a, a promotion and more pay and more influence. And I did it. Um, but I actually, when I left that job, I left to go back to an IC role because I felt like I just wasn't ready at the time. Mm-hmm. I didn't felt like I have, I didn't feel like I had enough depth mm-hmm. to be able to do that job effectively, which may or may not have been 
true in retrospect because what you sort of come to learn as you be, uh, you know spend more time as a manager is that uh, the skill sets are just totally different mm-hmm. you know yeah. you have to have enough uh, to be able to, the more you know the better like the more context you have the more the more experience you have had building software the better um, because you could see patterns of things and you could push in different directions. But for the most part, it really is, especially about doing that and doing that at scale. It's about, um, you know, it's about growing a team and growing individuals and it's about aligning to a product strategy and it's about delivering. And it, it's just a lot different day, of a day-to-day job. And so we think the natural transition is a lot of times of like, I'm promoted to a manager and I move up the chain. And uh, But it's, it's like fundamentally a, a different job. And so um, what's always brought me back to IC work is just I literally miss the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not mean not that I mean that I want to code for 40 hours a day or whatever, or like 40 <laughs> hours a, a week. Trick. Um, yeah, right. That's that's what I want to do. I just can't seem to figure out how to, how to make that work. You'll get you know there. what I mean? Um, but it's like a different level of like of, of, it's just a different amount of work of like producing the like the product and working on the, the thing. And having like direct influence and her hands on it, even at a, like a higher level sort of role that I'm in now, where I'm able to go really deep in certain areas, but then also be really broad in other areas. And um, you can't do that and manage people at the same time, not a large team. I mean, over the last year, I had managed up to tw- I had, you know, 20 direct reports um, earlier in the year as we I took on a couple more teams, a transition that were had two manager openings and, you know, ended up having to hire those managers and then hired uh, another like. I don't know, eight ICs or something in, through the spring. And so I was just spending all of my time interviewing, all of my time just trying to build that team. And mm-hmm. so that switch has been, you know, somewhat dramatic back to sort of the work again. Yeah, I, I find that a tech lead position that requires both management and uh, coding to be really challenging. And that's often that bridge. That's that's often how people get into management is they 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 do well at a little bit of managing and, and, you know, maybe like a 50, 50 in a tech lead position. I find that to be so hard. I, I am horrible at trying to do both. Yeah. It's really challenging. And we've actually, we had that role at Slack recently and we just eliminated it uh, because it just wasn't nice. It wasn't effective. It was, you know, anybody that was, it's like your, your sort of feeder in like both sides of it. And you really can't, I mean, at least in my opinion, I'm sure I think, it kind of it just depends, um, especially if it's hard to be really serious about being good at one or the other and doing each well, because mm-hmm. if you if you want to be a really great manager, you really have to care about people and you really have to, you know, invest your time in, in growing those people and removing roadblocks from them and making sure they have you know interesting things to work on and that you're delivering and that you're and it's just um it's hard to do that and do that well and be able to spend really deep focused time, um, you know, building software as someone that's like heads down and really thinking deeply about that problem because the manager life is like a life of a lot of meetings and a lot of interruption and you have these time slices and it's really hard to carve out contiguous time. It's not, it's obviously not impossible and it's, you know, your mileage may vary. I've just found it really difficult myself. Yeah. I like in um, dev work, to be more like working at the bottom of the of the ocean and so it takes a lot of time to put on the gear descend slowly you get down to the bottom and then like you can finally start to work 
And then, of course, there's an interruption, like someone tugs on your airline. And so you got to like rise, like really slowly, get back in the boat, take off all your your gear. And it's like, what did you want? Hey, did you get my email? It's like, oh, God. And then you put all your gear back on and then you slowly descend to the bottom and like, you know, you just <laughs> waste a ton of time. And and um, yeah, managing is very different. Managing to me seems it feels a lot more like spinning plates, right? You you like got that one balanced, like you give it enough momentum, you kind of like have a little bit of an eye on it to make sure that it's going okay. It's like, okay, I'll leave that alone for a while. But you're always trying to make sure that that all the things, you know, nothing's slipping through the cracks, like all the things are going, people need what they want, nobody's blocked, everything's efficient. And that's a it's it's so much more of like an outward, like hands on everything at all the time, like trying to make sure everything's good versus a what might be more of like an internal introspective not that devs are like not that dev work is solitary right? in fact i think dev work should be very collaborative but yeah that that in uninterrupted block of time is so valuable i think for a lot of work yeah and even from a fulfillment perspective um it's just different because you know when you're when you're a manager and when you're leading people i think when you're not and you look at that like you think about um, you know, wanting to have influence and you think that that's influence and, and you know, wanting to have sort of more visibility and recognition and 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 whatever. But, um, you know, when you're a, a manager and managing teams and doing that really well, you are trying to give your team as much of the credit as possible and trying mm-hmm. to lift them up and trying to unblock them. And so you're it's kind of like as a parent, you find fulfillment in the kids if anybody out there has kids. Um, but it's, it also is not individually fulfilling, you know, that, um, or it can't be, it's not the same level of fulfillment, Mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of like you're a retired professional athlete or something who's coaching and you're like, (laughs) well, this is great since I can't play anymore, but uh, man, I really love playing, you know, like the, you love like the flow and you love creating and you just love, it was like the original thing that at least got me addicted to building software, I, I just didn't have that anymore. And that's the part that I, I always miss. And a lot of times when I'm not doing that, it's because of some sort of greater calling of, mm-hmm. okay, if we're really going to get this company off the ground, or we're really going to build out this team, or I'm going to like, you know, I'm going to invest my time here to help others and to like scale myself by scaling others. And uh, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a calculated sort of costs in terms of what makes you happy and what your ultimate goal is and and what you want to do day to day. But it's, it's something that I think, uh, you know, people should be really mindful of, especially throughout their career, whether you're a junior developer or senior engineer or whatever, um, or you become a manager. I've known like a handful of people that have, you know, gone back and mm-hmm. um, spent 10 years as a, you know, engineering manager and then gone back. Um, <laughs> and there's other people that, that were engineers. And we assume that's like, it's so great being like a developer and engineer. There are like some people that are managers that are like, I never really like that. Honestly, this mm, is what I like to do. Yeah. Like I like yeah. to organize people. I'm more social. I like to talk. I don't, you know, I, I was right. pretty good. I was good enough. Like I, I could be good at it. You know, I'm a smart, talented person, but I really get fulfillment out of this other part. Um, and I think figuring out who you are is, is like really important because it really just comes down to like, what type of work do you want to do day to day and what you want to accomplish? Yeah, I was, I was laughing a little bit, uh, before, um, just because like sometimes I definitely fantasize about man it'd be so nice to just go back and be an individual contributor and just 
I, I hate saying this because it's it's almost like derogatory, but it's it's like I just wish I could just like solve Sudoku puzzles all day. Um, uh, you know, like uh, and and you know, I think for me, I I definitely spend a lot of my free time coding like that because I miss it so so much. Right for for work, I deal with a lot of clients, pretty much just running engineering teams for 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 companies. Um, and I, it, it's not even that like I, I certainly could just get in there and code if I wanted to. But I think that's that's a mistake that a lot of tech leads and, and new managers make, especially if they come from the development side is, is it's like, OK, well, I'll just like, you know, this needs to get done. So I'm just going to chip in and, and do it. Um, and I I'm certainly of the opinion that that's just always a bad idea. It it it's so much better to to recognize that that is that's work that that should be done by somebody on the team for a number of reasons one they get more f- like familiar with it if there you know if there is a problem with the process you can you can realize like oh okay this is falling through the cracks for a reason let me do some better organization around that um or this you know this resource is is deficient here we we should you know hire more people things like that. So that's a lot of knowledge. So I definitely try and avoid it uh, day to day. But uh, no, I definitely miss it. And that's that's where. But, you know, that's the nice thing about that's the nice thing about coding is especially if you're into more software, it doesn't it's not an expensive hobby. Yeah. If you, if you really think if you really, you know, when you think about it, the, the key difference is whether you manage people or not, um, mm-hmm. because you could be an individual contributor, especially at like a senior engineering leader or even in some area, product manager, um, like a lot of product managers are individual contributors. They don't code all day, but they, you know, work on product specs and they work and they lead teams and they talk to customers and, but they don't manage people. Um, or in some cases they, they do or don't. And I think that's the real distinction is, uh, and a lot of times we, we like conflate manager because it's like manager, there's like manager of people. And then there's manager Mm. of projects, manager of business, and so it's really about the difference of like, if you're a people manager, your job is those people on that team and growing and scaling and making sure the team is successful. And if you are in an individual contributor role, meaning that, um, you know, you don't manage people, I think that's the distinction. You still could manage projects. You still could run a business. You're just not responsible for these people and what they get paid and their performance and checking in with them and composing teams. And and there's like a huge amount of, of, of really important work that, that those people do, that's just different, just different work. Yeah, um, that's a great and, distinction. Yeah, because, you know, I, I, I mean, there's, I've gone weeks and weeks not writing any code as an individual contributor, but I'm like writing docs, I'm diagramming, having a lot of conversations, still a lot of meetings, just trying to like get people aligned on a vision, um, talking to customers. Uh, but, you know, I also have the, you go deep there as well, like being able to have, a, an, you know, a half a day just blocked out to like write a doc and really think deeply about something is, is, you know, just as fulfilling. It's all sort of going towards that goal. But I do think that distinction between people management and um, and not people management is is one of the most important distinctions. Yeah. Uh, you, you also just bring up a good point, too, is that uh, as you as you get more senior, um, that individual contributor role, like it, it may not even be as much coding like it, it might be more writing and documentation and, and architecting and really planning and, and trying to figure out how larger pieces can fit together or how to sort of move teams uh, productivity just through, I guess, like 
creating new tools. Yeah, I mean, uh, we have this. So we have, I mean, you know, Slack, uh, which is typical to other like tech companies, we have sort of a dual ladder type system of um, technical individual contributors in their role in the organization and, you know, people managers in their role in the organization. And ours goes all the way up to uh, basically like a senior director level, uh, which is like a principal engineer. Um, and so you, and you know, it's like the comps the same, pretty much like within the same bands, within the same, mm-hmm. within the same, you know, um, at least within reason. Um, and your influence is expected to be the same. And, and as we talk about like, you know, at Slack, there's like an associate developer, developer, or I guess we call them engineers. So like associate engineer, engineer, uh, senior engineer, staff engineer, um, senior staff, and then principal right now are, are the levels. And as you go up those levels, it, Really, the, the, the thing that expands is your influence within the organization, both your ability to influence and the evidence of that influence. And that could be, um, you know, it could be in tooling. It could be uh, related to architecture. It could be in like a number of things. I think there, there are different styles of, of really senior engineers and how they contribute. Um, but it, it, that's really what it boils down to is your level of not just like influence from a political standpoint, but literally your impact on yeah. the organization and your ability and the expectations of that impact. And what we found is um, what we call our career level, which is the level that we are okay people tapping sort of out at is a hmm. senior engineer. Because you know if you're content with, I wanna be on a team, I wanna write code all day, I wanna build software, I don't wanna have to deal with all this stuff outside my team and try to like drive more parts of the, business and have impact. I really just want to work on this thing and, um, and work individually. Uh, that's okay. You know, and, and I think the expectation that people should want to, or, uh, or have to, or have to sort of elevate, because th- again, the job changes. Um, and I think what is really healthy is that people are really honest with themselves about what do I want to do? Like literally I spend for what I say, 40 hours a day, um, 40 hours a week, or however much, <laughs> however much time you spend working, um, it's a lot of time. And if you have the choice and we have this luxury, uh, you know, or if you find yourself to have this luxury of choosing what you do, um, you should choose, like you should take that, that privileged opportunity and, and be realistic. And, you know, it's hard because a lot of times like ego gets in the way and these expectations of other people and what I think success is and all this stuff. And, but man, like the, the thing that really turns out to be fulfilling is just what you do every day and how you contribute. And, um, and that's it. And, you know, when we get old and we die and uh, <laughs> who are you living for anyway, if not for yourself? So. Sure. Yeah. I guess that's, a, that's the thing, right? It's, it's, um, you will you'll spend a lot of resources to make sure that you're that you get to spend your day how you want. But, you know, you 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 can organize your life in a certain way that you don't need to sacrifice to build up those resources to then purchase a day to be the way that you want it to be. You can often just think about like, wait, what what are the things that I like spending time on and then try and get a career or a job that that fulfills those because that's a huge part of most people's most people's day. How how would you recommend someone? I, I do think that a lot of people have trouble with that, with the deciding what they want or what what yeah, what makes them happy, how they want to spend their time. Like, do you do you have advice for people for how they could hone in on that if they are unsure? 
You know, it's like, honestly, it's one of the things that I think I've even struggled with throughout my career. And probably everybody does. You get caught. And it's really hard to see when you're, when you're, I don't know, when you find yourself unhappy and you, I think, you know, asking, like, it's like this aspect of awareness of, of trying to understand. It's like, why am I frustrated? Why am I unhappy? What is causing that? I think just a general awareness is, is important as well as, um, you know, I've always, uh, what's been helpful in talking to people about this. And it's a lot easier to like coach people through this. If you ever find yourself in like a mentorship, you know, you can see things that they don't see and stuff, but uh, you know, just projecting like, where do you want to be in five years? Like, what do you want to be doing? Um, Is a, is enough of a perspective shift and then, you know, helping people to say, well, walk back from that. Um, Like, Mm -hmm. how do you get there? And it's, it's sometimes it's dramatically different. People are like, well, wow, five years, that's a long time. I want to be on the beach in Thailand and never working ever again. You're like, well, well let's, let's walk that back and try to figure yeah. out how we get there versus right. like, I want to be the CTO of a company or, you know what? I just want to like keep doing what I'm doing and just do the best work I can. And, um, but I think like having that, having some answer for that and, and constantly reevaluating that I think is really healthy because it, you know, your life changes as circumstances change and as you mature and, um, you know, and you come to value different things. And I think, um, you know, just having that perspective of, of where does all this leading, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, is what I'm doing contributing to that or not? Because if, if you really do want to be somewhere specific and you have these goals in mind, um, if, if you don't, if you're not deliberate about how you get there, it's not going to happen by accident, yeah. um, or it's not likely the probability is pretty low. It's not going to happen. So, um, I think like being able to spend time and and think about it is, and be honest with yourself. You know, it's like Richard Feynman, one of my favorite quotes is like, you know, it's like the number, what does he say? The it's like number one thing is not to like fool yourself and mm-hmm. you're the like most easily fooled. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think what you said about it, this is so much easier if you do have a mentor or or someone you can you can bounce bounce this off of, because, yeah, sometimes it's very difficult to read the label from inside the bottle. And just being able to to say it out loud in a conversation, I think, can help a lot of people. I think in the absence of that, I think writing, you know, something yeah. to the effect of like journaling, like like not really trying to self-edit, but but get it get it all out and then go back through it and then may, maybe look at the the themes. And the other point that you made is that you're going to have to revisit this, um, especially, I think, in our field, like we like. With all the learning and the technologies, I think if if you're a six, you know a, a talented developer, software engineer, you're going to be that way because you are a quick study. You are good at gaining new capabilities, which means that that you're you're growing. And so the person that that you might be in a, in a year has completely new and different capabilities than the the person today. And so that can also really affect what you want to do. Yeah, um, totally. And that's the exciting part. Of, I think that's the exciting part about what we get to do is that I think it stresses. It's easy to become stressed out about that. This feeling that you'll sort of, I'll be left behind or I'll get stuck. <laughs> I know I've had to, I, you know, I kind of lived through some of these big accelerate, like technology accelerations. Um, uh, and I felt that way, but it is, it's like the most exciting part. Imagine if you decide to become a lawyer, um, that just doesn't happen, you know, like mm-hmm. the law doesn't change that fast. What you do, like, it's just, right. it is what it is. And um, you'll be having mm-hmm. the same arguments that you probably had 20 years ago, uh, maybe over the same topics, but it's like things change so fast. And I feel like embracing that um, is, is, you know, can be really exciting. 
part of it. Yeah, it can, it can also be scary. I mean, I, I, it's interesting. I think a lot of the the people who are really all in on Flash um, f- have very strong feelings on the topic because uh, I think that was kind of sudden, where where a lot of their skills quickly became out of fashion because of where browsers went. And I think a lot of those people uh, I've heard are, are, are in some sense, like really unhappy and, and may have made different choices if they thought that was, you know, coming or something like that. But on the other hand, I know so many of those people and they're like, I don't know, they're all doing great. They transfer like that, the knowledge and the things that they did um, and their capabilities really did translate into other technologies and they continued to be really creative, really talented, really productive with other tools, even if that, you know, the constant refrain was like, oh my God, why can't we do this thing? Flash, you know, did this like 20 years ago, you know, complaints about. I think what you come to maybe, you know, hopefully come to appreciate, especially as you learn different languages and you like you spend significant times on like run times and actually building with one language and another and whether it's like you know I have my career on from like C++ to Java to um like did some Ruby and Rail did some like Groovy which is a scripting language top of mm-hmm. JavaScript to Node and and like all the transformations of JavaScript and TypeScript and um even CoffeeScript and all that to to go and like dabbled in other languages like stuff in Python you just after it, I think it's like learning a foreign language. Like when you only know one language, it just seems so hard. I'm assuming I actually don't know other languages. What you hear yeah. is that people into languages can <laughs> pick new ones up. Yeah, But, you know, there's so much commonality. And it's not just commonality. There's the perspectives of like even moving from like an object-oriented language to a more dynamically typed language. You bring things and you bring things that bring value to people working, even like people that have been entrenched and they've been like, you know, working in a particular language for five years. And then you all of a sudden bring like this functional perspective into it. And it totally like, it changes, you know, how you approach things. And, and there's so much that transferable. And I think we we tend to overestimate these shifts and that uh, will like fundamentally be left behind. But as long as you're, you're you know, it's just another tool, whether uh, you know, whether it's like this type of saw or that type of saw, you've got to learn how to use the, the tool. And so it takes time. It takes time to change. But so much of it translates. And there's there's all this like secondary knowledge that goes into it that you build over time. That's just the same regardless around, um, you know, the constraints around performance. And mm-hmm. um, when is that important? What types of things contribute to um, you know, a system being slow or uh, being resilient or being fault tolerant, or I mean, some of that's like literal physics and distance. Some of it's you know CPU. Some of it's um, you know power. Um, and then even you know you tend to depending on how you like what problems area you solve, you start to like bump up against um, you know, and you learn about networking and um and subnet masks and you know amazon vpcs or like AWS stack or you learn about um you know kubernetes docker or you learn about you know mobile and the different mobile platforms and so and i think everybody's sort of path is different but there's so much like commonality and there's a lot that you you gain by that diversity of just experience over time that compounds uh, even if you don't remember it, you know, because I find <laughs> that's like horrible memory. 
but you still, for some reason, gain this like intuition that becomes really valuable over time. And I think it's just, it's, I don't know, it's one of those things that I feel like if someone would have told me that a long time ago, not to sweat it mm-hmm. as much, it would have been a good thing to hear um, and encouraging. Cause it's, it's like, you know, that, that perspective of like people always overestimate, you know, change in the short term, but, you know, drastically yeah. overestimate in the long term. It's like really right. similar. Cause I think we get these like these sort of fear-based gut reactions of like, Oh my God, like flash, um, like my whole career is decimated. Uh, when it's, you know, it's not, it's very transferable. Yeah. I, so this is something I, I talked about recently too. I, I do worry that some people might be listening to this and, and, and think to themselves, well, okay, fine. but at the end of the day, I, there are these job requirements and I'm going to, and I want to interview and I want to get past the recruiter and they want to see TypeScript and I don't, I don't know it. So clearly I do need to, to learn this stuff. And, you know, I, I think, I think certainly there is that there are these, these requirements um, for, for some jobs. And if you really want to work at this particular company, like there, there just might be a hard technology requirement that, that you have to, to get over. Um, but beyond that, I, I think the other part of it is, look, these, these languages, these technologies, these are, these are solutions. And, uh, there, there's a quote that, that I'm not quite sure. I, I remember who said it, but it, it's fall in love with the problem, not the solution. And, if you're really interested in in performance or you're really interested in like you know the the like the marketing or the growth or i guess the seo or if you're really interested in you know extensibility or accessibility or things like that that can often that interest can often substitute for being proficient with whatever language or technology is you know what that's addressing right so these people who were really good with flash well they might have also been really good with complicated uis or being able to to do very visual um you know programming type type stuff that that those are those are the underlying problems and and their mental models their experience with tackling those problems translate regardless of what the the technology is and so you know it's it's tough for the interview uh, piece because sometimes you you can get screened out if you just say like no I don't have any experience with you know TypeScript or Next.js or whatever but I don't know like in the example of Next.js if you think about well why does that exist like why why is that such a helpful solution uh, like what are those problems that those are solving and you just get really interested in that like okay why is server side rendering important like wh- why why are all of these optimizations that it does interesting um and really think more deeply about that you can wind up in a good situation in during the interview because talking about problems uh can be a much richer uh conversational pool than just like the you know the api of any given technology yeah there's a number of things to to dig into there um you know one is there are multiple skills or attributes of a person that are more important than their proficiency in the like language or framework you're using. And, you know, some of those things are just pure like grit and an ability to solve problems and a willingness and a drive to, to solve problems. Um, 
because it's all it's all your day is all day long. It's problems, right? It's mm-hmm. big problems, yeah. little problems, and it becomes a thing that's like <laughs> f- fulfilling, right? It's like how do I fix this syntax error? This compiler is yelling at me, whatever that, or it's like some big design problem or whatever. It's like big problems, small and little. And I think the thing that separates a lot of engineers from others is just you know your 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 sort of like drive and, and ability to to adapt and solve problems. And uh, however, to your to your other point about you know really being deep and proficient, I think. Um, you know, we're also craftsmen or craftspeople uh, in, in a lot of ways. And you, there's no there's like no substitute for becoming deeply proficient in some piece of technology, some mm-hmm. language and really being able to, to wield that and know it and understand it. And once you do that, you know, once it definitely translates. Mm-hmm. If you don't do that, I think it's a really hard place to be if you're a, like a generalist that's not really deep anywhere. Because it's really, it, you get, you face a lot of problems that are hard to solve um, because it's just hard. You can't get to this like depth of, to be able to just like push through it. And especially on the, on the junior end, it's hard to assess candidates uh, because it's hard to test for those other attributes. Mm. But if you've developed a depth of understanding in a particular area, and sometimes it doesn't matter. Um, I know even, you know, at Slack, uh, you know, part of what we do is we stopped doing we did we stopped doing take-home <laughs> type tests because you know we're trying to be sensitive to people's time and people have different like life situations you know it's not like you have some people that are single parents and don't necessarily have the luxury of like hey spend 10 hours and do my programming exercise mm-hmm. and so we do have a hands-on coding part of our of our interview um but it's it's more of a pair programming shared screen over the course of like a couple hours kind of working through like fixing a problem and stuff and and there you get to pick the language that you're comfortable with. And we have um, that problem, you know, the ones that we walk through set up from a bunch of different languages because we don't, it's not really important that you're an expert in this language, but that you've reached some level of proficiency in in a language, in a technology, and and you've, you know, show the ability to be able to um, solve problems, work within it. And, 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 and if you've done that in one language, we're pretty confident you can do it in another mm-hmm. uh, and that'll, that'll be valuable. So we tend to, you know, hire you know, more so for that than anything um, beyond that. Because we know, I mean, these things are fleeting too, right? Plus, you know, we know that, you know, we talked about in the very beginning about, you know, the the core of Slack being built in like Hack and PHP, which is, yeah. you know, and it is basically the same thing that, that Facebook is using, um, the same runtime. And we have open source contributors to that and, and collaborate with them. But we're, you know, odds are we're not going to find a lot of people these days that um, have a lot of PHP experience. And that's not, honestly what we're hiring for and um but we're also finding people that just want to solve really hard problems at scale uh because we do have like significant scale and regardless of the language or runtime the the problems are hard um Mm -hmm. and and they're interesting and um and you know there's a sunk cost to the technology they're using around like is it worth us to rewrite the however many millions of lines of code it is for like slack to to run versus working on new features that are going to sort of drive the business. Um, so no, I'm just laughing to myself, you know? just thinking about like some junior showing up at Slack and be like, why are you using PHP? You need to like rewrite this all in like Rust. I was in an all hands once. Uh, and I think it was an engineering all hands with, uh, and someone raised their hand and, and asked a, like a snarky question like that. You know, it's like, have we ever thought of go whatever? It was, <laughs> it was really, it was just classic. Um, and it's, you know, it's fine. Of course we think it. And you know, it's funny. You look around, you'd be like, it's not like everybody there is like incredible fans of PHP. Like 
probably nobody would start from scratch. If you were going to build that product today, that system, you wouldn't start with PHP. But at the time, it was the most productive tool for the founders um, that built that, that could get that product to market the fastest, that they knew how to build and scale and utilize. And they were like craftsmen with it. And so what's more important, the, the like the end result of what you're trying to create and building a successful pr product, a successful business from that, or you know, the, the technology used, because I'd, I'd much rather be in the camp of we just built a successful product and business and we made some compromises maybe on the newness of the technology we use. The other part of that is is just de-risking it, you mm -hmm. know. So um, if you use a tool that you use or, you know, if you use a tool that is, is, is just tried and true, it's been used to scale, build large scale systems, um, you know, the attributes of it, like you de-risk that part of it completely. It might not be the most sexy, exciting, whatever new technology, but there's a lot of risks that, that like come with that instability. There are a lot of upside potentially if you can ride that, and that's a differentiator in like the thing that you're building, um, just because of the sort of attributes about it. But um, you know, it's just trade-offs all the way down. Yeah, I mean, the value of a technology—it's not a single axis, right? It's not just developer productivity or developer comfort. It is not just raw processing speed. Like there are so many things and a huge one has to do with, okay, well, who's who's actually building this thing and what's their experience and what has this stuff been used for in the past? Because there is so much risk and there is so much, so many other things going on when you're trying to build, especially a company um and or or and like and an and an ambitious one there's so many other things that are going to come along and and cause headaches or or real trouble that an edge case in in a new technology or just an unfamiliar one it doesn't even have to be new it's just like an unfamiliar one because you think it's going to be you know technically better whatever that means like you know you you can wind up paying for that um yeah, yeah. Yeah, grass is always greener, and <laughs> there's a lot of problems being on the, the cutting edge. Like you got to make sure that you know those are the problems you want to be solving. Because when you hit those problems, sometimes it's just a giant time suck, and sometimes you're just totally stuck. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, especially if it's something where where that medium article telling you how to fix it hasn't been written yet. Totally, <laughs> <laughs> just keep searching. <laughs> it's uh, and and then you got to write it. Um, so okay, so we talked about interviews. I actually, I'm really, I was, I was really uh, interested to hear that you stopped doing uh, take home. Uh, for for me, that's that's almost exclusively how I hire. Uh, they are paid though. The, the the way that it's structured is the very first take home, which is the initial screening, is designed to be very quick. Like either you you know it or you don't. So it, it shouldn't really take five hours. It's more of like a fifteen minute thing but beyond that they really are in the five five to ten hour range depending on what level of challenge it is but those those are paid um and i i don't know yeah i i guess this probably isn't the the conversation for it but the um the i'd be curious to hear how how this new like pair programming works and if that's been successful and i guess for you if you've done that like what do you what do you look for specifically while that's while that's going on yeah you know you just a, a big part is you, you look for approach you look for how someone thinks what they think about um what they look for how they work together like how they work with you 
Mm-hmm. Um, That's a big one. Because th- when it comes down to it, like this isn't a like single player game, right? You you have to work in teams with people and how you collaborate and you know your ability to, to, to communicate and even show vulnerability and ask questions. Um, you know, for example, if if you're in one of those sessions and, and you're just struggling and you're just visibly frustrated, but you you don't stop and ask a clarifying question or even ask for help. Because, you know, the, the person that's sitting across the table or like right next to you or on online, they don't want to see you struggle. Um, right. And this isn't like, oh, well, if you don't get through the, you know, the sort of gauntlet, like you fail, um, they ultimately want to see you succeed. And the worst thing could happen is you get stuck on something because honestly, you know, these challenges or the, the problems are not perfect in and of themselves. And so there could be a problem in in the problem. There could be something mm-hmm. just not explained well and you misinterpreted that. And that's not your fault. It's our fault. And so right. I, I think we want to see you succeed. Um, and, you know, obviously, if you get a lot of help through that, we're you know, trying to figure out, like, what type of help did you need? How receptive were you to that help? Like, how coachable are you, even from like a junior engineer perspective? I, and it shows, you know, I think it, it gives an interesting insight into into that part of it versus we gave this problem. You came back with like perfect code and tests and syntax. And we honestly, we can't tell if you got that from the internet or you got help <laughs> with that or so you get to see more of the process um, as well as, uh, you know, the burden as well as your ability to recruit. I think, you know, it's always tough, especially if you're going after, you know, really talented people who have a lot of options. They're always being recruited. Uh, you know, and sometimes it's like feast or famine. Whenever you're looking for a job, you're like, oh my God, I wish some recruiter would call me. I would talk to them. Uh, versus you're like, oh, I just can't stop calling me. Um, but, uh, you know, if you, there's certain, there's definitely like a certain tier of like people who are like, I don't have time for that. Um, mm-hmm. And look at my, whatever, my credentials, my look what I've done and why do I have to reprove myself and stuff. But, um, you know, especially on the junior end, I think it's, uh, it's tough. It's, you know, people have different, there's different like levels of performance anxiety in those interviews for sure. And, you know, I think you just have to do your best and, and just practice. Um, if that's, if that's like a hang up, um, and like take as many interviews as you get, even if you know, you don't want the job, you know, yeah, I think interviewing is a skill. Yeah. Well, uh, I think we covered a lot of really awesome topics. Uh, I think the, the interviewing stuff, especially, I think, I think one of the big takeaways is that it's it's and and actually it was, it's a it's a running theme right like these are these are multi-dimensional issues and and just raw technical power is not the only dimension to concentrate on it's certainly necessary but but it's not sufficient and and oftentimes it's it's something non-technical um that that is is worth a lot of effort um basically investing in uh so Mike, this has been this has been great. Uh, where can people find out more about you online? Uh, so I'm like Embervort uh, almost everywhere, uh, at least Twitter, GitHub, and and other places. So uh, definitely hit me up. Hit me up there. Okay, perfect. I'll put that. I'll put some of those links in the show notes. Uh, thanks for joining me today. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me, David. I really appreciate it. It's fun conversation. All right, folks. That's it for today. I'm David Gutman, and I hope you join me again next time for Junior to Senior. And if you've enjoyed the show and want to get more involved with like-minded devs focused on their career, head on over to community.juniortosenior.io. Thanks.